myself Cliff Foster, aka the amazing Cliff, on the old Twitter, your guide through the world's greatest games console of all time. Yes, the Nintendo 64, and it's here. Tomorrow is the 21st of February, which means that tomorrow is happy birthday to one of the world's biggest games franchises and i'm here to do my mini history part one because it's that big i've had to put this into two separate podcasts of that franchise so we'll go on to that in a minute because there's a couple of shout outs i've got to do because if you didn't know already you can come and join me on twitch every friday and sunday from 8:30, and you can build up jinjos and one of those things is to get a shout out on this podcast and there's one man that's redeemed that so here we go for the shout out subscriber fellow jinjo he is timey to me. yes sir you an absolute legend thank you very much for all your support i really do appreciate it and you get it on one of the biggest podcasts i've ever had to produce or make or just pretty much just the biggest podcast i'm ever doing (laughs) so thank you very very much my friend um and if you want to shout out then please come and join me on twitch as i said on fridays and sundays where this weekend Um, So this Saturday today, so on Sunday, come and join me because we will be continuing on with Adult Link in Zelda or Karina of Time. Now, the other thing that I'm here to talk about, as well as doing this podcast, is today. this week I hit a huge milestone as an N64 collector because I now own 64 cartridges for the Nintendo 64. Now, that's huge. I mean, I'm really proud of my collection. Um, You know, it is one of those things. I love expanding to it. Um, it's, It's the biggest collection I have. It's the only collection that I'm really actively... Um, still collecting for I, I do get the occasional GameCube game or Xbox game or 360 game from here and that then but it's it's not the same as my N64 collection I literally am out there still scouting for certain games I just missed out on Body Harvest which I'm gutted about because that's a game I've never played however oh, I just yeah I, I, I want that game but I missed out it went above what I was willing to pay for it. It was a box version, which I'm not too fussed if it is a box version, but it will come around again. It will. But it's time to do something that I have been waiting such a long time for, and that is our mini history of Zelda. And today is part one. And that part one includes... The greatest game of all time. Ocarina 
of time. So let's get going. So, what is this podcast going to be about? Now, I could have done a battle for Jinjos between Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, but we know that Ocarina of Time will win that. So, I've decided in celebration to do a podcast, and a very special podcast, because it won't just be me that you're hearing on this podcast. I have also brought with me two of my favorite people for under consultation discord channel the awkward silence (laughs) (laughs) i didn't really discuss order did i (laughs) that's okay i'll I'll start first uh hello my name is harriet uh i'm also known as manga manga girl uh on youtube and twitter Instagram. I'm probably well known for being a massive Game Grumps and NSP fan, but I'm also wrestling fan, gamer, um, as I describe myself, a geek of all trades, but master of none. I love that. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm Misha, known in various places across the internet as Multicast Geek. Um, much like Harriet, actually, um, the whole Jack of all trades, master of none. The dictionary definition of multicasting. In the, in the D&D 3-5 Player's Handbook. Uh, oh, a I love of, that. A breadth of abilities and skills, uh, but lacking in specialisation. <laughs> <laughs> and no podcast about Zelda, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask would not be completed without a bit of navigational help. Hello. Okay. okay. Yeah, hey. we get yeah, I'm listen. listening. What? Watch out. What? You're not gonna, you're just gonna make these noises at me, aren't you? But Navi's here to help us on our journey through this because we're not just gonna be going into the gameplay, we're also going into the history behind this. We're going into the temples, we're going into those items, and Navi's gonna help us navigate through those little difficult areas and not get annoying. Probably. Probably not. Shall we start? Shall we start? Let's go back. So in the words of Frank Turner, let's begin at the beginning. And we start... On the 21st of the 2nd, 1986, where The Legend of Zelda is originally released. Yep, we join Link, forever to be mistaken by casual gamers and uh, people as Zelda. No, that's the princess. But we follow Link around eight dungeons to go and save and get the Triforce. Now, I mean... I don't know if at the time they really understood what they had unlocked, but a year later, they rushed out the Adventures of Link. 
I mean, like the quick turnaround, you know, from 1986 to Link to the Past coming out in 1991. That was four games that were released. And then two years later, we would see Link's Awakening be released. It unlocked a huge franchise for Nintendo and a completely different direction of what Mario was going down and other franchises that it had. Now, as we come into 92... Um, Mr. Miyamoto himself and Mr. Kasami started to look into where the future of gaming was going. And so in 1992, they started, both of them together, to try and figure out a way of doing a polygon 3D game similar to what we had seen with the launch of uh, Star Fox and see if the SNES could actually produce Zelda in a 3D world. That was eventually scrapped, but... Only a year later, the same year that Link's Awakening came out, the rumours of a certain project started. But before we look into that, now we go into memories. Because memories are very, very important. And at this time... What? Hello? Okay, we'll, hey, we'll do it in a second. <sighs> okay. But at this time, I had bought my first ever... Zelda game and that was Link's Awakening and I tell you what that game itself I had no idea what I was doing I was running around like a headless chicken but more importantly what were your memories or your first memories of Zelda uh, for me I, I always remember the uh, old NES demo units in shops the ones that had like a 10 minute time limit and about um, multiple games. So The ones that you would find in curries and uh, in places like that, or, Comet. Um, yeah. Although though, at the risk of at the risk of sounding sounding the one there was the most reliable one I found in London was actually in Harrods. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah. And I thought I was posh being from Winchester. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is no, there is an, there is an entire backstory to that, which is in no way related to. Um, but trust me, we, we never actually shopped at Harrods. It's just that we knew we happened to know because reasons that that was the that was a reliable spot to get a go on the net, and uh, so you, and so my parents would occasionally just take me and punk me in. The, front of it uh that was uh the original uh legend of zelda um it, it had like legend of zelda it had mario the original mario super mario bros um later it had things like mario 3 i think it was eventually popped up but uh yeah um i friend of friend had a nez with adventure of link which never really got into um the, uh, the top down was always my my favourite. If you look at the kinds of video games that were being made um, in, uh, particularly in the early days, um, you know, you had your in in the in the West, you had your text adventures, mm. you had your Eye of the Beholders, you had your you know your dungeon, you know your your you know. But you had your dungeon crawling and stuff. A lot of it, which a lot of it was based off D, which was the you know the OG, you know one of the OG RPGs. Whereas, and that carried on um, going through. Um, 
because don't forget the number of the crossover between the old, you know, 8-bit, you know, Spectrum home, you know, the Spectrum systems and the gamers. And the, I mean, you know, at that point, you basically, you know, you know, your games workshops were selling Warhammer and they were selling D&D and they, I think they had a few games in the in there as well. Whereas Western at the Japanese JRPGs, um, they've always come across to me as more sort of... Uh, a bit less, a bit less of the sort of go anywhere, do anything um, thing that you would associate with tabletop. Well, believe it or not, it was actually the, well, it's not the game, it's the cartoon series that was released. Excuse me, princess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, because it was just one of those ones then when I realised that when I actually started playing Legend of Zelda, I thought, wait a minute, this is not like the actual <laughs> game at all. But I was pleasantly surprised. Put it that way, I, I really didn't like Link in the cartoon. I don't know why I watched it. Probably because Captain N was on as well, so I loved that. But, <laughs> but um, yeah. Well, they did the crossover, didn't they? They did, yeah. God, that takes me back. And then it led on to... Um, I did get a NES when I was younger, but I only had Mario. Um until my dad thought I wasn't playing my NES for some reason and then decided to give away my NES. I don't know why. <laughs> to this day, I know, to this day, I never understood why. But oh, my God. It, don't worry, I'm forgiving him. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, the original Legend of Zelda. Um, but I never really played a proper game until, um, like, N64 or GameCube, probably because I was more delved into the, the Sony route. But then, but I always was aware of Zelda. It's just I never really took the chance to to play it. I was more of a late bloomer to the play in the games. I played Link. I played Link to the Past quite a bit. Uh, no, I think yeah, Link to the Past. But um, I think I, a friend of mine had it, and I, I borrowed it off him repeatedly. Oh, you back Listen. with us, Navi. Okay, cool. Because uh, what she's trying to indicate is that I did give a little bit of a hint that in 1993, Nintendo started to show tech demos of a little project that they had up their sleeve. And that project was Project Reality. Now, Project Reality was basically nintendo going into the 3d world they were starting to get rumors of having this console uh appear uh, that will be able to use fully um full 3d graphics at the time you know pc was the only way that you could go into that world not really unless you're playing star fox 60 sorry star fox could you ever venture into that world on a console market now, in 1994, only a year later, they started to see what that those images could actually achieve. And yet again, such a quick turnaround, because a year after that, we had the announcement of a huge console. And that was the Ultra 64. Yes, Nintendo was going into the market. Now, we could go on to the history of the Ultra 64, and we will at some point. However, we're going to sort of just skim over it. <laughs> we're going to get to the fireworks factory, I promise. It, it's, it's, yeah, the start of the development of games on that console. And at this event, we saw a tech demo of 
what looked to be the new Zelda 64, but that's what it was. It was a tech demo. It wasn't. It wasn't live footage. It was a complete, utter tech demo, um, completely created by um, by Toshio Iwaki, who at the time was in charge of the Zelda 64 project, or soon not to be. But it was there to drum up interest, because. At that time, they knew Sony were going to be coming into the market. The Saturn was already out. They knew they had to battle. So at the same show that this tech demo was shown, an almost completed Mario 64 was on show as well. So straight afterwards, in fact, Iwaki randomly leaves the project so that leaves it open of who's going to take over and kasami who was very much involved with uh link to the past appears out of nowhere um to take control of this uh, with four other uh directors now the direction that they wanted to go was it, it was different to anything else that they did so if you're looking at the game itself in that early inception it was being run off of the super mario uh, sorry the mario 64 engine because that's the only engine they had to play with and it was very much based around ganon's castle uh in that basis of that it was a completely open world similar to mario where it's going around peach's castle um but going through the streets and being able to connect to different areas by different doors and things on those lines think of uh termina uh from majora's mask but that is your whole hub now now this starts with the clash of not 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 clash i don't think it was ever a battle or didn't seem to be that way Um, because Kazami would go and continue on with Zelda. But it was very much a look at Kazami that was doing these uh, Link character um, build compared to Miyamoto. Now, Miyamoto's first idea was that he wanted it all done in the first person. So it was going to be very much a first-person game. However, and then go to 3D battles. However... Um, Kasami really wanted to show off that sort of element of Link and that character development. So when we came to... This was all happening in 96. And then what happened was, on the 24th of the 11th, 1996, this game was shown off for the first time. And it was very much shown off that this would be a launch title for the 64DD. Yes, we could, that deserves a whole podcast to itself. Um, but the 64DD, the launch title was going to be Zelda 64. It also shows in the images that you can see from that and the um, the active gameplay was very much the case that Link only had two items at show. So that that's really interesting. So that's keeping to that element of what we saw on the SNES, that you could only have two items on at the go at the same time. And so it asked the question, then, what were those C buttons for? And it's been run off this, uh, the Mario 64 engine. So I'm assuming, and a lot of people do, that this would have been for the controls of the camera. Now, another thing that you can notice about these pictures is that Young Link does not appear at all. And he doesn't appear until 1998. So there's no images of Young Link until 1998. It's all adult Link all the way through these images. 
it also shows that you've got the element of manual jumping the arrow so to fire, fire your arrows was done in a third person point of view um as it wanted it to be that first third person point of view uh free roaming um so it shows this really lovely free roaming lost woods um you know wandering between tree to tree to tree which was really interesting as well as having a number on your shield so i'm assuming and a lot of people do assume that number on the shield was actually that that could take a certain amount of hits so it was it was really interesting at the time to start to see these images appear now one person or or a creature that would appear in these early even in these very early shots that almost look like a completely different game one person that would appear is a little fairy that is following link and that's to help his navigation so the introduction of navi Watch out. so i think if you're thinking zelda 64 there's certain things that people will always do and one of them is hey listen there's nothing more irritating when you're playing that game than navi hey listen or that shut up navi nav navi go away um she's there to help you guide you and to be honest when you're playing this game for the first time there are certain moments when Navi does come in really bloody handy. Like going back to visit Saria uh, to go and get uh, Saria's song. It, it, there's certain parts where Navi does come in handy. So people that completely diss Navi, go away. And also, she might have led to another game after this one. But that's for next podcast. <laughs> but Navi... You're all right by me, mate. You just you just continue telling me to listen, and I'll never press press the C uh, the C up button ever, ever. Not happening. So in nineteen ninety seven. After it not being launched with the 64DD, they, they decided to actually move this to a cartridge. And this is where we very much come into that second half of this game's development. Because the first half was sort of idea to concept. Um, you, we were seeing shots, but it, it wasn't really... It was a world apart from what, we're, what we eventually saw with... Uh, Zelda and actually at E3 in 1997 we started to see a game that really went into the art direction of what we would eventually see it as it was very polygon it was very simple you know you look at back at pictures of it it is that element of that these bosses that you are facing they 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 need a bit of texture <laughs> let's put it like that um but you'll notice actually in these that they've started to use the c buttons because this mario you know it never stopped using the mario 64 engine the mario 64 engine evolved around what they wanted it to do for zelda so they've obviously started to get the camera working around Link better. So they've given the C buttons as those item buttons, which is huge. 
Um, it's it's also showing still no young link, but there is an interesting theory that's come out, and actually, it has Miyamoto has come out and said a certain parts of this game, and we will go into when you collect these items, uh, when we go into the game itself. But there was ideas from Miyamoto that these medallions... So, if you didn't know already, which I'm sure you already do, that when you are going through the uh, temples as Adult Link, when you complete the temple, you gain the medallion. So, the be that medallion of light, which you get off the bat. <laughs> be that the uh, forest medallion, the fire, water, shadow, or spirit medallions. They, they were all able to do... Um, but they, they were just there to say that you've completed temples. However, Miyamoto's idea was that these were going to be magical items. Now, in the game itself, you, you do gain magical items like Din's Fire, etc. Um, but there is an element of that you collect different uh, abilities that your bow is able to use. So you're able to collect the fire, the ice, and the light arrows. Now, the idea was, originally, that these medallions would be able to almost manipulate certain features of your uh, your abilities. So, be that magical powers, be that that you can possess the bow to be able to use fire arrows, be that that you might be able to get your shoes to hover. Um, that was where the concept originally came from some of the great items that we saw. So... There was rumours that you were able to improve the tunics via these uh, these um, these medallions, which makes sense, really, if you think of it. Of, okay, I get that, but then they decided to continue on with that ob obvious thing of item progression. Now, a year passes, and PS1 is definitely king on the market at the moment. You know, Nintendo have pushed this back now. They they were developing it on the 64DD, then they've decided to do it through cartridge, and we're getting to late 1997, and they knew that they could not miss out on another Christmas. And there were some real big, you know, questions being asked of Nintendo, because they were leaving their big titles to other developers like Rare. Um, you know, Rare were the kings at the moment on the Nintendo 64. So there was real big questions of, could Nintendo actually develop a game by themselves for their own console? And they knew that they could not miss out on that 1998 launch. So at Nintendo Space World in early 1998, they launched what would be the closest we've seen to the real Zelda coming out of that point. So, I mean, the imagery, uh, very much the look of Link, uh, Young Link's announced. Um, you're still using the B jump uh, button to jump at this point as well. Um, you've got... The music coming out of chests. I mean, like, there's certain things that still you can see they're tweaking. Um, and something that's really interesting is that the ocarina was not used to call a pona. It was actually a weed that he would blow into, which would be later used for Twilight Princess, which 
you know, I, I think that's quite nice as well to see an idea that didn't quite work with this game, but they they kept it in the closet and then then they went, okay, let's let's get it out for this game. Um, but this is this in early 1998. You can see that they almost have a developed game on their hands. Hello. Oh, it's you again. Hello, you. Yeah, we better go on to the other guys as well, I suppose, because at this time, we weren't consuming our news via streams or big tech announcements. You know, we were consuming our knowledge via magazines. And there were so many magazines out there. You had Games Master. You had the official Nintendo magazine. N64 magazine was just starting. So... What did you used to read? That's the question. I just every every month I would get Games Master without a doubt. Um, so yeah, seeing the pictures and you just say, "Oh, this is kind of cool," because you know, obviously it was 3D and this is all brand new at the time. Um, so this was like revolutionary, really, for gaming. Um, but yeah, I just remember just reading it, thinking I. I don't have an N64. I don't think I will be, but I have a cousin who'll be getting an N64. So I need <laughs> used to go around to see them. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, hi, cuz. What are you playing there? <laughs> <laughs> Very much. How are you doing? Sorry, engrossed in playing this. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I was... I I never bought the, the official as well, apart from a few, a few very early issues from the Nintendo Magazine system, because I was always future rather than emap so the the real the real you know 16-bit era gaming war it's not sega versus nintendo it's not sony versus nintendo it's future versus emap and by god if you're on the wrong side you're in trouble <laughs> <laughs> uh, so sorry, i actually i actually bonded with uh, two of my friends at school who subsequently were my best men when i got married over, over, over a fight of me discussing the relative merits of various gaming magazines. So now we come down to me. So I, I think this is really where I come into the story. Not in the development. I had no part in development. Twelve-year-old Cliff had no part in that. But this is where I got my N64. So we're talking September the eighth. 1998 i got my n64 so at this point i got it with super mario as i've told you this before but i got it with mario 64 i got it with golden eye and later that week i spent my money on diddy kong sorry timber tiger racing now with this i started to get the magazines now this is where magazines became a huge part of my life that's where we got all our juicy gossip from it was from those magazines and i remember getting the nintendo the official nintendo magazine at the time i was getting i, I remember my friend tom was getting the n64 mag um you know we, we would go to school with these magazines and you know, look at them all together in our groups, as in the tutor group that we were part of, and we would get excited for these games. Now, at this point, this is where Zelda really hit my peripheral, because I owned Link's Awakening. I owned Link's Awakening for the Game Boy, loved it, but didn't really understand it. If I'm being honest, I had no idea on what bloody Zelda was. I know that there was this 
little green, you know, guy in a green suit, or at the on the game uh, on that game he was in grey, but <laughs> but he was going around and you go around and I I didn't really do the missions very well. I sort of just wandered and explored, but I didn't really understand Zelda because I never ha I had a NES, but I I never owned uh, I never owned. Um, uh, the, I never owned the original Legend of Zelda. And it, it, this is where, for me, I, I really started to look into this game and went, wow, it looked mind-blowing. I mean, those images coming out in early 1999 were like, wow, this game looks awesome. And then we come to the launch, and eventually they, they get there. They launch this game as they said they would, on the 21st of the 11th, 1998, Ocarina of Time finally meets its deadline. And then, more importantly, on my timeline, on the 11th of the 12th, just before Christmas, I mean, that's pushing it. <laughs> to the point of that I've seen so many reviewers out there saying they didn't even put it on their Christmas list because they thought there's no chance that this is going to be launched in time. I mean, the 11th or the 12th. I mean, there's rumours and there's there's people saying at those times that the games had queues outside at 12 o'clock at night. That was unprecedented for that time. I know we've gotten fairly used to that with the advent of Harry Potter, meaning that people do seem to be waiting outside of doors for 12 o'clock launches. You know, I go and see Star Wars now at 12 o'clock every time there's a new Star Wars, but at this time, that was completely unprecedented. Now, if I'm looking at, let's say, who owned this game at that time, I only can think of one person. That was my friend Tom. Now, I got the game, you're looking at September. That's when I got the game. So I got it for my birthday the following year after getting my N64. My only copy I've ever owned. That I got that on the 8th of September 1999. Okay? So I remember going over his. Now, it must have been close to when he had got it for Christmas or his birthday. It might have been April. Um, and I remember going over his and he had his first playthrough. So thinking back, it might have been April. <laughs> but I can remember those famous first words that first appeared on there and the shivers that went up my spine. In the deep, vast forest of Hyrule, long have I served as the guardian spirit. I am known as the Deku Tree. And that cutscene with Link dreaming and, you know, it's really hard to get a game to really make you love the protagonist straight away. And it, it's really, really tricky. So what they did with Link was they presented him as almost an outsider. He, he was an outsider, so from straight away, he's the only child without a fairy. So it made you feel like in those sort of early teenage years, like, yeah, he's one of me. You know, it, it made you almost relate to him straight away that he was different. He was different from everyone else. And this is where our cinematic, and I mean that, cinematic journey into the world of Hyrule. Now, I would... Before we go into the game itself, I used to fantasise about them making this into a motion picture. 
I mean, I used to fantasize about it lots. And I think it's really that first game that came out for the N64 that you could easily put your hat on and go, this, you don't really need to work too much on the uh, storyline of this. That's your motion picture. And that's how it felt to me. It felt like I was watching a, you know, a TV show or watching a movie and really relating to those characters on screen. And also, it made franchises wake up. Now, there's certain other franchises, and my tastes have very much been dictated around Ocarina of Time over time. You know, that's why it is my, I always say, it is my favourite game of all time. You know, you're looking at games that I've loved for years, like the Fable franchise, or when it came to consoles with Malwind, I loved the Elder Scrolls franchise, with Mass Effects even. You know, you're looking at all these franchises, took the precedent of what Zelda was and made it bigger. I, I I genuinely believe that. You know, you could say it was Final Fra- uh, Final Fantasy, but I wouldn't say until Final Fantasy 7, I would say Final Fantasy still was a very niche market. And I think Ocarina of Time and Final Fantasy, I think they both had a massive part into how games were developed later on to really be the juggernauts that they could be. And it wasn't just me that felt this. I mean, this is this game is considered one of the best games of all time. It is. But what do you guys remember about seeing this game for the first time? Mine were originally from the GameCube because um, I, 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 like I said, I didn't have an N sixty four. So one of my friends who uh, I was working with at the time, he had a GameCube. And I recently just bought, I literally bought the GameCube as it was finishing its run. So I had the the cream of the crop of games to pick quite cheaply, but I didn't, I wasn't able to get Legend of Zelda because with with Nintendo, like Mario and and Zelda are always the very expensive games if you want to buy secondhand. Doesn't matter if you want to buy them new or secondhand, but um he he lent me Legend of Zelda. Well, he lent me Ocarina of Time. So that was my first memory of it, and just playing it properly, and just really getting into the game and thinking, "Wow, this is actually a really good story." <laughs> and even though it's 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 long, it's worth it in the end. I think it's one of those stories where you know I know you have to pace back and forth, but you know progress is key, really, if you want to carry on. So that was. That was my first memory of it, properly. I'm pretty sure I got it on day of release. With the the, the thing I the thing I, I I had it, and I was I remember playing it round at a friend's house. Um, we but we both had, and think you and I was just like, right, I've got the game, gonna show it, show it off. Um, but the one thing I remember is that the um is that I didn't. I was so used to playing uh, Link's Awakening and uh, Link to the Past, whether you're in your arrows. Um, it was I was staring at that that one room in the Deku Tree with the uh, where you got the eye, the eye, and you got to shoot the eye to open the door. Yeah, but it was like, and I had the slingshot, and yeah. obviously you shoot it with a slingshot, but for some reason it was hardwired into me that it had to be arrows. <laughs> it was like. It's an eye, so you shoot it with an arrow. That's what you do in a Legend of Zelda game. 
<laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Uh, yeah. you're spot point, on. And it was it was like staring at it. it was like, right, there's gotta be something that we're missing here. Um I actually got to the point where I actually phoned the Nintendo hotline. Oh no, God. <laughs> and no. Then to have them explained no, well they didn't outright explain to me. It was like, well, you see that arrow? Yeah, you gotta yeah, oh, you gotta shoot the arrow, you gotta, you gotta shoot it. What? What? It's a slingshot? And it's just silent. <laughs> yeah, the slingshot. What do you mean? It's an arrow. It's like an arrow. Right, slingshot. Oh. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everybody, yeah, everybody talks about this one, and it, you know, it's it's the uh, it's the revelation when you grab the master sword because you know oh. you've played your, you know, every, if you've played a Zelda game, you know the deal. You've got to get, you know, get the three widgets get the master sword exactly like it was in Link's past so you get there and it's like so master sword you know you're not thinking for a second about the size issues you know it versus young link and you're just like and then suddenly it's like what the (laughs) (laughs) what that was some growth spurt yeah Why not just like do a do a like localized temporal distortion? Just accelerate <laughs> through the seven years. Don't let the seven years play out. But there was that moment of yeah, whenever you were playing as Child Link, and I had a lot of friends where I got it like six months later than some of my friends. And to borrow a phrase from UCP, it was like, when am I going to get to the fireworks factory? When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? Because <laughs> everyone else was able to ride a pona. Everyone else had the bows. Everyone else had, were moaning about the water temple. We'll come on to that in a minute. Um, I, I, I was always like, until that moment of pulling the sword out, it was like, oh, this is brilliant. I'm here. Mm. I've finally done it. And then you step out of the temple of light and you're confronted by more of those annoying zombies. It's like, ah, I want to get a pono. What to do with these guys? Um, <laughs> um, I think the one, if we're going to go into spoiler territory, um, is when you realise who Sheik is. Yes. That was, I think, one of my first mind-blown moments of gaming. Say what? What? Yeah. She, he, he, she Zelda? <laughs> Did we yeah. just assume her sex? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was because Sheik is one of my favorite um, uh, Legend of Zelda characters. So when I found out it w- it was Zelda, I was just like, what? you know, sort of. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. I love watching other people's reactions to it as well. Like the realize if they've ever played it before, and you think, yeah, that's exactly what I was going through. <laughs> But it still makes it makes Zelda or this Zelda so badass as well. Yeah, it makes her so badass, and um, because it, it has got a lot of actually. Do you know what? It's a very modern game that you've got a lot of strong female characters in there. You know, mm. whole civilization completely fine without blokes. Good on them. Um, but then the one <laughs> bloke that they do produce is a complete and utter. D- um, uh, <laughs> the crew do well. That is the point that the prophecy is that the one, you know, the one bloke is supposed to be the boss, and it's like, no, no, <laughs> just, no, it would be so much better. Just, just leave them, don't. Don't give them this inflated sense of self-importance. <laughs> <laughs> You've created your own problem here. <laughs> yeah. 
No, you you finally managed to you know patriarchy smash a team. Don't put it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a sucker for a good time travel story. So all the stuff that was like, you know, you go, <clears throat> go do something in me uh, when you're young, Link. Yes. Come back. And it's had an impact um, when you're like planting the planting the seeds to get the to get the leaves or making friends with a pona in the past or having to, or even the spirit it. temple where you have to go back to young link go and do yeah. the first half of the spirit temple and then come back or when you have to get the uh when you get the eye of truth as well um yeah. in, before the uh, shadow temple i i've got to admit i'm a massive fan of that concept because to me it was i mean it was the it was a very comfortable extension of the uh light world dark world mm-hmm dichotomy in Link to the Past. Yeah. I mean there it was a bit more simple. You'd move it you'd move to you'd get to somewhere, uh, you know, skip across the parallel skip, skip across the dimensions and then wind up somewhere where you couldn't previously have gotten to. Yeah, and it it also takes into the basis of when you have to go back to other temples and go and collect the uh golden scarabs or whatever they're called. Skullteller, thank you. Um, yeah, so when you collect the skulls and Skullteller, and uh, then you realise, ah, there's one in the Deku tree you can't get until you have bombs. So you have to go all the way back to go and get that one. And then, and, we're, and then we're back to the retreading, aren't we? Exactly. Although, although Harriet, I'll bring you, you know, you, you particularly talked about the, the distance, but is it that, the game was set up so you didn't really mind? I think so, yeah. Because thinking about it now, you, you kind of just wanted to carry on. It kind of it kind of lured you in just to like, okay, I'll just play another 20 minutes. Okay, I'll just play another <laughs> 20 minutes. Then three hours later, you think, oh, well, you know, at least I'm having fun playing it. So I, I don't mind the back and forth because it just makes it more fun. Like, you know, you have to go um, Young Link, Older Link, but at least then it's just... Oh, I just love it. I, I love games like that where it, where it gives you not a challenge, but just lets you have fun as well. Because some some games, you know, the it does feel like it, it can feel like a bit of a grind. Yeah. But, you know, like trying to get trying to get places in Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> I've yes. never played it now, funnily enough, so I couldn't say. <laughs> or, or even Skyrim sometimes. Hence the the now verb Skyriming, which means to constantly <laughs> jump against the mountain until you climb said mountain and jump down the other side because you're like bucker walking. Ah. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> uh. I only, in my defence, I only know that because my my wife plays. My wife oh, plays. I lived on that bloody game. Oh. I'd hate to think of how many hours I've lost uh, through awkward of time and uh, Skyrim together. So, I'm. I, it goes without saying. This is spoiler territory. 
<laughs> we're gonna go into the game itself so if you didn't haven't played ocarina and you don't want to know all of the big reveals then this is spoiler territory because we're now going into the game itself so you link as a child uh as i said you yeah the only kikeri in the village that has not got a fairy until navi appears and wakes you up and tells you that the great deco tree wants to go and see you now as you go around the town you sort of learn that link is as i said before this outsider He's a really big outsider to the point of people don't actually believe that the great Deku Tree has summoned you to go and visit him. And the great Deku Tree, first of all, tells you to go inside him and sort out the shizzle that's happening inside him. But you're too late. No matter how much you try, he dies. But before he dies, he tells you about the history of Hyrule about the great gods that created the Triforce. He, he very quickly in a one cutscene, gets anybody to understand really what you're meant to do. And first of all, you're meant to go and collect the spiritual stones, the one of fire, the one of water, and he gives you the forest spirit, spirit stone. Each of these represent as well the races, the different races that you get in the game. So you get the Kakiri, the children of the forest that just don't grow up. It's almost a bit Robin, uh, sorry, a bit Peter Pan. Uh, you've got the Gorons, which are sort of the, the guys that live in the mountains, you know. Those guys that have, you know, developed into big rock-eating animals. I, I, what nutrients do you get from rocks apart from calcium? Maybe some iron? I, I think you could get quite a bit from them. But they only seem to eat them, and the only plant they grow are bloody bombs. The indigestion you would get with that. And then you also, you get the Zoras that live in the water as well. Um, I love that, and you've got the Grudo as well, but you don't really get introduced to them until the latter part and one character uh, in Link's childhood that will be coming on to in a minute. So after trying to save the big Deku tree, uh, you continue to the other dungeons uh, in the game of Dodongo's Cavern and Jabba Jabba's Belly uh, to get the spiritual stones and help the other races in their plight against the evil king of thieves, Ganondorf. Yes, the Gerudo King. Uh, the only male out of this whole equation. And... You know, I said there, you know, about the basis of, you know, the Grudos. Originally, you're like, oh, yeah, that is made a good point of. But they are told that one man will come and rule them. Sort of destroys it a bit. <laughs> oh, dear. But Young, Lee, Young Link, it, it, it's very much those sort of first missions, those first bits and pieces. It's the build to the fireworks factory of becoming Adult Link. And with this as well, you, you have to go around and explore and build those relationships that will help you in latter life. So you go and build that trust with a pona you, in Lon Lon Ranch. You, you become blood brothers with uh, Daruna. You, you become engaged quite funnily actually to ruto uh in getting the uh spiritual stone and you even see the village start to grow and build and it feels like y y everything you've done has had a consequence 
even though you know not like fable where it does have a physical consequence it is that start of those games as i've once said i've already said you know that everything that you do has a consequence to it do you know what the major overarching of this as well is it's very a coming of age story and that's really highlighted in those first parts of the game where you you leave the forest and you have that moment with saria and she gives you the ocarina um or as everyone seems to be liking to call it thanks to tom campbell at the moment the the pasty um <laughs> she gives you the ocarina and there's this really emotional moment and it is emotional it made me well up when i was a kid a computer game i think that was the first computer game that actually made me well up and not cry but definitely feel that sort of emotional butterflies in the bit bit and the sort of bottom of your tummy um it's really random these these are characters that at this point you you you've not spent a lot of time in this game and is that element of oh it, you get these lovely little butterflies now one thing that i did get butterflies with is when you originally walk out onto hyrule field i mean that moment for me was that standout moment and when you you're going through the game you you know you do get those moments where you're a bit blown away by how vast everything is and the detail that goes into it you know there's so many little bits that you can go off and do and uh, i mean you've got fishing in there you know that i spent how many hours of my life have i spent looking for that sinking lure you know i i mean these were things yet yeah, again with the magazines with talking to your friends these were bits that you you'd learn and when you did you felt this massive element of uh, you've succeeded and that moment when you've collected all the spiritual stones you go into the temple of light you place the spiritual stones down that for me was i mean pulling out that master sword such a sense of achievement I've got there. I've got to Adult Link. I remember friends of mine were further ahead than me at the time. And I can remember being completely kaputted in Jabba Jabba's belly and getting frustrated carrying around Ruta absolutely everywhere to the point of where I just wanted to chuck. I was physically chucking her into the water when I got annoyed with her. I mean, it was, it was frustrating. And at the same time, there, everything that you did in this game made you feel that sense of achievement. Now, obviously in the storyline, you go to the temple, you've got your spiritual stones, and you get to the Master Sword. So the Master Sword is the unlocking of that spiritual realm. And at that point, Link is meant to get the Triforce and everything is happy. However... It seems like Ganondorf has been leading you here. There's certain bits in it, like who put that message in a bottle about Ruto? Um, it, it's, it's brought you to a point that Ganondorf has used you to get to the Triforce himself. And without going into too much of the lore of Zelda, he's touched it. And because he's not pure of heart, it separates. So he keeps the Triforce of power the Triforce of Wisdom goes to Zelda. The Triforce of Courage comes to you. So that means that with that power, he's able to go and 
annihilate Hyrule. I mean completely annihilate it. Um, to the point of that the village is the only thing that seems to be untouched by his power and his influence. Because um, when you go and do these temples, you, you notice that the world has become a bit darker. It's become more corrupt. You know, you actually long for things to be right again. And that's your mission now, is to make things right. So when you're in the spirit realm, you meet Raru. And Raru tells you that you've been kept in the spirit realm for seven years and you're now an adult. And that was so you're able to master the uh, use and wield the master sword. No one ever tells Link this when he gets given the gilded sword in the next game. But <laughs> he also tells you that there are seven sages uh, that that need... Uh, that you need to unlock to be able to imprison Ganon or Ganondorf at this time. Uh, but five of them are completely unaware that they are sages themselves. So you had uh, Raru, uh, the Sage of Light. You unlock Saria, your good friend. She becomes the forest uh, sage. You have uh, D Darunia. Who becomes the fire sage you have ruto who becomes the water stage and tells you that you can't get married now which is hysterical um <laughs> you have impa uh the nanny of zelda who becomes the shadow sage you have uh Nabooru, who becomes the uh spirit stage um and then zelda herself who's the seventh um and, you know, I, I think that that, to me, was, you know, everything was leading you up. It was very much a prolonged tutorial, I would say. And the annoying thing is, is that everything that you've learned to use, or 90% of it, you can't now use. Now, I had a rant on one of our streams that, why can't you use the boomerang now that's one thing that's always annoyed me why can link no longer use that boomerang it's not like there's police running around saying link you're not allowed to use that that's for kids no put it down put it down you're not allowed to use it but you're told that you're not allowed to use certain items and that means your quest begins to look for more sh <laughs> and you start off with getting the hook shot which is a, a device that's come over from Link to the Past y you know you, you go around each of these temples and each of these temples does feel like it's a bit of a tutorial on how to use that specific device because 90% of them what you've actually collected as that specific device in that temple is the way that you defeat whatever boss you're facing off against so the temples you go back to the forest you go back to where it once started right at the forest temple you you that's that i would say that's a nice little step up in the way of difficulty you have fire temple which i always thought was my favorite i've always got a soft spot for the fire temple i really enjoyed the fire temple and then you have the water temple now there's a bit of a history behind the water temple that people find frustrating but personally I've always found the Shadow Temple to be the most frustrating. Um, then you go into the Spirit Temple. Um, uh, as I said, Shadow Temple frustrating. But Spirit Temple, we have to mix that element of young and adult Link. And you do that a little bit with the well for the Shadow Temple to get the uh, Eye of Truth. Um, and then you've also got a little side mission with the Ice Cavern as adult Link as well. Now, do you know what? These 
temples, no matter which one it was, there were always moments where you had, Hi. what am I doing now? And th it was very much that I had to go back at this time and go and visit the magazines that were there to help me, my friends. I remember, I, I can remember being stuck, especially on the water temple. And one of my friends just gave me a, a slight hint, didn't tell me, he just went to me have you thought about dropping it all the way down to the bottom again um or something along those lines where it gives you that little hint of okay this next step because yeah again when you achieve every single one of these medallions you get that sense of yes i've done it um where you, you, it's building and i mean you grow this massive love for each of these characters each of these missions each of these successes are growing you to really love this game and this is why it stands out oh here she is it's the napster is it time is it time now, as i said the fire temple it was the one that i always remember thinking more fondly on um and as i said without triggering anybody's ptsd uh there's whole youtube videos out there on the frustrations of people not being able to complete the water temple by ek uh now martin from now and then 64 is still stuck on the water temple 25 years on um but the question is to you guys is what is your favorite temple what is your favorite boss what what are those favorite moments about getting those achievements is is Twin Rover a, a bit of a cheesy choice? I mean, the whole—I mean, it was the whole the whole you know thing of the absorbing the you know absorbing their power on your shield and directing it back. Yeah, and the uh, I mean, I, the the, the, I, I, the I liked the I mean the setting the setting for the. For the the Lord Jabu Jabu, um, <laughs> course that reminded me of the uh, fourth dungeon. I forget its name now in Link's Awakening, which was also inside, sort of yes. quote unquote inside a giant fish. The Shadow Temple. <laughs> I think because I like spooky stuff. I, I mean, I, I I think it's it's just like the 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 kind of the darkness to it, like especially in regards to what it's there for but it was just i don't know it just kind of and i hate skull tellers with avengers because i don't like spiders but you know <laughs> but i i just i don't know it, it wasn't as complicated as some of the temples maybe that's why i liked it because with me and puzzle games or with temples especially a certain one um <laughs> it oh god yeah that 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 boss was creepy as heck but my gosh, amazing. Was it Dead Hand, I think? Yeah, Dead Hand. Yeah. Kind of reminded me of Oogie Boogie Man from <laughs> didn't the didn't the didn't the floating shoes annoy you though? <laughs> didn't the because uh, you sort of you sort of slide a little bit forwards just before doing it and then you always misjudge it and you end up falling to your death. I I've got to admit on that game, especially on the boat, as you're coming towards the end of that level, I fell off that more than I've fallen off of anything else in any game ever. <laughs> None spring to mind at this point, but I know I remember the the Shadow Temple just I don't know, just sticking with me for a while. 
Uh, but yeah, no, that was one of my favourite temples of the game. Probably not many, but I don't know why. I just like the appeal to it. So, yeah. I think also, there was also something really, really lovely about um, using the hook shot in 3D. It was, I guess, and it was, all, it was like the feeling of the, it was the exploration, wasn't it? Because, you know, you, you think about things like the hookshot and what it did in, in Link the Past for the, in terms of ex, just exploring, which is the, you know, the, you, re you really did feel, once you had the hookshot, finally you had a way to get up places. It didn't require you to find a kind of convenient ladder or, you know, or run around and, or fiddle with, some fiddle with some water switches. Now, obviously we come to the end and we've got Sheik. Sheik, you, you do assume his sex a little bit, um, but Sheik in this, uh, he reveals himself as Zelda. So yes, so Zelda was him all along, or her all along. You just assume. I, I, that's really bad in a modern world, isn't it? Um, but no, you just, yeah, Zelda reveals herself to be Sheik, who's badass. Um, one of, you know, Harry's already said it, you know, one of her favourite characters uh, in the Zelda universe. Um, and you get the bridge to go over to Ganondorf's castle. And when you get to Ganondorf's castle, you have to work your way up. It's, it's, it's almost Mortal Kombat element. <laughs> work your way up. And you do get some tricky moments in there, but it is very much, you have to be prepared. You get your fairies ready. You go and hit it. But when you get to that top and you face off against Ganondorf and you defeat him, there's that other fist bump moment. Now, how this ended up being not told to me, I don't know if my friends didn't get there before I did, but I very much did not know what happened at the end. And I, I, I get to this point where you beat Ganondorf and you then he decide, he brings down the castle and you have to leg it out of the castle. I did not know this. I did not know this was going to happen. So it was like, oh, blooming heck, you, you almost switch off. You almost have that element of, ah, I've done it now. Go sit back and relax. Oh, no, 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 no. No, Ganondorf's bringing down the castle, and you've got to get out as quickly as possible. When you then get out, you get the sense of relief of, I've done it. And then you get completely thrown off guard that Ganondorf turns in to Ganon. Now, as a boss... He wasn't a particularly hard boss, especially if you had the uh, the uh, the larger sword. If you had the large sword, uh, especially if you had the Begoran sword, you know you got through him pretty quickly. But it was completely through you again. You you completely drop your guard and then go. Ah, I've done. Oh my. God, what is that? Um, it <laughs> makes you completely drop your guard. And then when all said is done, Zelda holds him down with the light. You defeat him. And Zelda feels bad that you've missed out in the last seven years and sends you back. Now, I'm not going to go too much into the lore of Zelda now, but if you look at, let's say, games that came out after this, this is where it breaks away. And this is really interesting. And I, I'll put the links in the description below to go and read up on this. Because this is where 
it links off to the basis of if he had gone back in time, if he hadn't gone back in time, or if he hadn't have defeated Ganon. I mean, like, it separates off and... You know, we will come on to theories of time uh, when we come on to Majora's Mask, but this is where it gets all interesting. So what happens next? Well, Zelda becomes a critically claimed success. I mean, one of the first games ever produced that have, have got perfect scores. And I mean... Everyone was giving it a perfect score, and it's still held today as, in my opinion, the greatest game of all time. And a lot of people that listen to this podcast and imagine you're on the same wavelength. If not, you would think it was definitely the greatest game of the N64. Um, It's very hard to hold any other game on the console up to it. Um, Which, you know, in, in an ideal world, I would have waited years of doing this podcast to do talk about Zelda. And we might well revisit it later on. But it is that element of where do you go after the greatest game of all time? And what rumours were appearing at that time? So Zelda Aura... So they they hadn't given up on the 64DD. They wanted to give you an expansion to Ocarina of Time. They had not given up on it. Now, at this time, there were two developments in the case. And we'll go more into that in part two. But it's not over for Zelda. It's not over. So come and join me next time around where we'll go more in-depth into what happens next. Oh, that's the end of part one. Oh. Do you know what? I think this is going to be one of those podcasts I'm not going to be happy with even when it's produced. <laughs> How do you live up to the greatest game of all time in a podcast? You can't. And I mean, like, I, I've i been waffling for, just on this for an hour. I've been just just me, excluding any of the bits that we've done, with, I did with Misha and uh, Harry. I mean... It, it, I've been waffling a good bloody hour and I feel like I have not gone enough in depth with Ocarina of Time. But do you know what? It, this hopefully has wet your whistle to go and want to get into uh, retro gaming. I think it's one of those games I'd hope would be the sort of eye in. Now, if you haven't got the monies... If you don't want to start collecting and, you know, getting 64 games like I have now, um, don't worry. You've got emulators out there. You've got Project 64. Go and pick it up. You know, I'm always going to be one of these people that are like, no, you must play it on the, uh, you must play it on the uh, OG console. I'm always going to be one of those people, but I'm not ever going to shoot anybody down for wanting to, uh, yeah, go and pick up this game and really get into this and i've only scratched on the surface uh of the history of the development the game itself the theories uh there are plenty of other people that have gone more in depth onto this go and give it a search into youtube go and you know really start your journey into finding out 
what happened with Ocarina of Time. But we will be back in two weeks' time for part two of this podcast where we'll be going into what happened next in the N64 and a little bit of a dip into what happened afterwards on the GameCube, um, which will be really interesting journey. Really interesting journey. Also remember, so that's in two weeks' time. Two weeks' time after that, we have got another anniversary bang smack in the middle of all this, and that is obviously Conquer. Conquer, he turns 20 uh, all the way through this. So we will have our next battle for Jinjos after part two of our mini history of Zelda. That uh, will be Conquer versus Silicon Valley as announced on the last podcast. Remember, if you are not following me on the old Twitter, go and follow. We reached our 400, uh, over our 400 followers on Twitter. So we've reached that goal for uh, Mar- which the goal was to get that before the beginning of March. So thank you very much for all the follows thank you very much for the listens and more most importantly we have not reached our hundred target on twitch so go and search n64 life podcast all one word all mahusive yeah go and give that a follow come and give me some support while i play on games and swear at them uh anybody's welcome if you want to become a jinjo and subscribe please do uh there is a new emotif uh for tier two followers as well where you are getting a jinjo with a gun yeah that i don't know what possessed me but <laughs> but please come and Give me a follow on there. And I will see you in two weeks' time for part two of the mini history of Zelda. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Hello. No, go Hello. away, Navi. Hey, listen. Watch out. Okay.